Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. This week we're continuing our series on the book of Romans and we're looking at Romans chapter 10 this time. And we're thinking about the question whether everyone needs Christ equally. And of course at that time Paul was particularly thinking about the Jews and the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. But I think it's applicable to all kinds of, of categories that we place on people. Does anyone need Christ more than any other? And what does that mean for us as a church? Uh, this will be the last podcast before the new year. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to wish you a happy Christmas. And thank you so much, everyone, for supporting the podcast, for joining me over these last few months. And I hope that you will continue to enjoy the podcast into 2024. But thanks so much, everyone, for now. God bless, and I'll see you again, God willing, in the new year. Hi, everyone. So what we're going to be thinking about this week is whether everyone needs Jesus equally. You know, does everyone need Jesus the same? Now, this is something which, you know, we sometimes hear from time to time, you know, that there are perhaps categories of people who we think might need Jesus more, you know, really bad people, for example, and people who need Jesus a bit less, you know, like nice people who have nice houses and cars and, and so on and so forth, whose lives look okay. And we might think, yeah, well, one set of people needs, needs Jesus a lot, and the other people, well, maybe not so much. Are there a special category of people who don't need Jesus at all, in fact? Now, that's what we're going to be looking at in this. And Paul is really talking and continuing to talk about the Jews in this passage, because the Jews of the day, some of them anyway that he was writing to, just seemed to think that they hardly needed Jesus at all. And that's what he is addressing in this chapter. This is Romans chapter 10. So in this first paragraph here, verses 1 to 4, Paul kind of summarises where we've got to so far in the book of Romans. So he says, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So he says, I pray that the people of, of Israel, the Jews, might be saved. Now why would he say such a thing if they were saved already? No, there will be no need for him to say that if there was no need for them to be saved. So that, that presupposes the fact that they, they need saving. So that's the first important thing, the first important point. And Paul says, uh, then verse 2, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Now think back, you know, Paul, he knew what it meant to be zealous for God in that sense. If you remember his pre-conversion experience, you can read about it in the book of Acts. But Paul was extremely zealous, even to the point of persecuting the church, you know, of carting off Christians into prison and, and even having them stoned. And yet he was not, he thought he was, you know, he was being zealous for God, and yet he was not. You know, he didn't really know God. And it wasn't until um, later that he actually encountered Jesus and his life changed. So Paul knew what it meant to say, you know, I can testify about them. He knew what he was talking about. They're zealous for God, it seems, but they don't really know him. And he goes on to explain in verse 3, since they did not know 
the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Paul says that what they tried to do was to achieve righteousness, that perfect moral living, by their own efforts. They sought to establish that through their hard work rather than through through God and through all the ways that we've been thinking about so far. And because of that, he says they didn't submit to God's righteousness when they saw it. They didn't submit to Jesus. This is the way it often works, uh, sadly, that the people who try hardest to be good, to be moral people, the people who put the most effort into it, are also the most proud. You know, they're also perhaps the least able to admit their own faults because they, you know, they, they put so much effort into it that they can't see when they're going wrong. And this is what, uh, what Paul is talking about, it is pride. This is why they didn't submit to Jesus. And Paul then says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the culmination of the law. That word there, the culmination, it can mean you know, like a fulfilment or it can mean just like you know, the end. And I think both of those senses are probably true here, that Christ fulfilled the law for us and Christ made an end of the law for us. That you know, now it's not about trying to achieve righteousness through the law, but through the new way of the Spirit, as we've been thinking about over the last few chapters. And Paul says it's for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And that's really significant that it's not about different categories of people. Ultimately, it's, it's for everyone who believes in Jesus. That's the way. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So this is kind of a summary of where we've got to in Romans so far. This is like the, the, the overview. Um, so Paul then moves on to contrast the faith which is based on trying really hard, of trying to do good works, and, uh, and the righteousness that comes through faith. So he says in verse 5, Moses writes about the, the righteousness that's by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So he goes back to Moses. He goes back to the law and says, uh, this is what Moses said. The person who does this, you know, who does these things, who obeys the law, will live by it. And what he, he means here is that to be righteous according to the law just means you have to obey the law perfectly. You know, you have to obey 100% of the law 100% of the time. Now, that's not the way that we often think about these things. You know, you often, we might think about exams, for example, you know, when you think back to when you were at school, when you were doing an exam, and there would be a pass mark, wouldn't there? So, you know, you wouldn't have to get 100% of the test right, the questions right, to be able to pass it. You could get, you know, you might get a the best mark if you got, you know, I don't know, 80%, 70%, something like that. And then there'd be different pass marks, you know, until a fail was, you know, you only got a few questions right, or fewer than that. Uh, but, but this is the thing, you know, that it's not like that with the law, that God's standards are perfection. That if we try to achieve righteousness based on the law, then we have to be flawless 
absolutely flawless. And this is what Paul has been saying all the way through Romans, that that's, that's not how we can do it. That's not how it's done. He says, by contrast, um, oh, well, by the way, we should say that the Jews thought um, they had achieved this, you know, this righteousness by the law. And so Paul carries on, um, the righteousness as by faith says, um, and he, he says, don't ascend into heaven uh, or descend into the deep, but the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. So he says the word is near you. you no, know, it's not somewhere which is, you know, we have to make every effort to go to ascend up the highest mountain or, or to descend into the deepest depths of the ocean or anything like that. It's not something that we have to expend those kind of efforts for. He says it's near you. And what is this, this message? It is in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the message of Christ. It's the message about Christ. That's the message that Paul is, is talking about. So it's, he said it's near you. You know, it's not something that we, we don't have to go on some kind of epic hero's quest in order to find it. And sometimes people have this view of religion, don't they? You know, it's a bit like Lord of the Rings, where, you know, you have to cross, do some kind of epic journey across mountains and across valleys and caves and, and all of that in order to get there. And, you know, then you find, find enlightenment at the end of that journey. But Paul says that's not how it is. He says instead it is near you. It's the message of Christ. And it's not something which is, which is far away, which we have to, you know, go on some kind of epic journey to find. It's near you. And he says uh, in verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, you know, I think that the heart and the mouth kind of represent the, the inside and outside aspects of, of faith. You know, that we believe inside and then that belief makes a difference to our lives. So it changes the way that we speak, the way that we act and everything. So it's the, it's the inside and the outside aspects of our, of our faith. You know, both the changed heart and the changed life. That's what that's what faith, that's what believing in Jesus is. Um, and Paul, he, he, he goes on to say, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is something which I think would have been pretty shocking to the people who heard this for the first time. You know, that, that everyone is equal before God, Jew and Gentile. You know, that, even, that, that the Jews who thought of themselves as being perfect, who thought of themselves as being, you know, the most moral people who didn't need salvation. He says, no, 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 Jew and Gentile, they're all equal. Now, Jesus is the great equaliser. At the end of the day, the dividing line between humanity is not between Jew and Gentile or rich and poor or you know any other distinction that you might make. It's between whether we believe and trust in Jesus or not. 
that is the great dividing line. And Jesus is the thing that unites us. You know, that those who believe and trust in Jesus, Jesus is what unites us. And we all need Jesus equally. You know, it's, it's been the same all the way back as far as the Old Testament. That's the point of Paul quoting from Joel, that, you know, even as far back as the Old Testament, this is what, what God was saying, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in this last uh, section, verses 14 to 21, Paul talks about the message then being preached. And in these verses, verses 14 and 15, he says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Um, So Paul is saying, look, the people, everyone needs to hear this message that they can't believe in someone they haven't heard about and they can't hear about someone unless they, they have it preached to them. They have the message preached to them. And I think what Paul is saying here is that Everyone needs to hear the gospel message. You know, there isn't a, a category of people, you know, of course, thinking in those days about the Jews, but you know, anyone, everyone needs the gospel message. There's no category which we can exclude that gospel message from. It reminded me very much, actually, what he says here of what Jesus said in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 9 verses 37 and 38, where Jesus says, um, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what Jesus said. And that's, I think, very much what Paul is saying as well, that we need to go and and take that message to the people who, who haven't heard it's so important because they're not going to to believe unless they hear the message and there's no one who should be excluded from that at the same time not everyone will respond in faith and this is what the the last section is about and we don't have time to go through all of these quotations uh, sort of equally but what paul is saying is that now, hearing the message is not a guarantee of responding to the message. And this is what he says, uh, why he says it, you know, that, um, uh, Lord, who has believed our message? He quotes Isaiah and says that you know, Isaiah proclaimed the message, but the people, the Israelites of the day, did not believe him. And again, he, um, he, he quotes um you know, they, they heard the message. He quotes Psalm 19 about that, saying that the message has gone out into all the world. Um, and he says, did Israel not understand? He says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And remember how last week we were thinking about how God called those who had previously, he, he hadn't. You know, how God had brought in uh, the Gentiles, those who had not been his people. And that is exactly what what Paul is saying God has done. That, you know, God has, um, the, the, the people who were, those who were his people, the Jews, actually um, have not listened. Uh, they're, a, a, as Isaiah, uh, Isaiah says, a disobedient and obstinate people. You know, they haven't listened to the Lord and, and God has brought in 
those who will listen. God has brought in uh, the rest of the world, you know, the, the Gentiles. So hearing, the, the upshot of this really is that hearing is no guarantee of believing. That hearing something, hearing the gospel message does not mean that believing will follow. And even having every advantage, you know, but that, um, of course, you know, the, the Israelites being raised knowing uh, the, the law, knowing the, the scriptures and so on, you know, that was of no advantage if they didn't believe in Jesus. And it's the same today, you know, you think about people who've maybe been brought up going to church, been raised in a Christian home, you know, it's, it's no advantage unless you believe in Jesus. And I think it's very important to understand this, that, you know, not everyone will, upon hearing the message, will believe. Now, we've, we've thought about this a little bit in Romans so far already, but it can be a very frustrating experience when there are people who we're trying to, to reach and yet they're, you know, just flat out rejecting what we're trying to say. I remember a few years ago when I was training at Bible College, having, a, you know, there was an event one evening um, and I was chatting to a man afterwards. He was, he was an atheist and he was quite, you know, happy and contented in his atheism. And I was pressing him about you know, questions about things and I, I, I found a question which he just couldn't really answer. But rather than thinking, to, you know, actually trying to answer honestly and saying, actually, hmm, I, I, I don't think that's right. You know, I, I can't answer that from atheism. Rather than doing that, he kind of just tried to deflect and double down and went back to, you know, something else. And, and I got quite, quite frustrated with it. I don't think I handled it very well. Um, but that's the thing, you know, that people will sometimes just not, uh, they won't answer. You know, they just don't want to believe and so they won't. They'll be obstinate and they just will not believe. And we have to be prepared for that sometimes. You know, we have to be prepared for the fact that people refuse to believe. And sometimes we have this idea, of, present this idea of the church. Oh, if you just, you know, tell people about Jesus, they'd love to come to church and they'd love to, you know, submit to Christ. Actually, some people are just dead set against and will not believe, and we have to remember that. So let's draw a few conclusions as we come to the end of this passage. I think the first thing to say is that everyone needs Jesus, and everyone needs Jesus equally. Whether that be the difference between Jew and Gentile, as it was um, especially in the church in, in Rome in those days, or whether it be between rich and poor, or whether it be between, you know, good people or bad people. And I say that in quotes because, you know, as we've been saying, there's no such thing really as good people and bad people, um, that we're all equally bad, if you like, before God. But we should care about everyone hearing the gospel. There's no category of people who the gospel does not apply to. There's a hymn called Go Forth and Tell, and it has a line in there which always strikes me whenever we, we sing it, which is, in wealth or want, the sinner surely dies. In wealth or want, the sinner surely dies. And, you know, saying, well, whether you're, you're rich or whether you're poor or whatever your circumstances in life, if you're 
you're a sinner, which we all are, we turn away from God, then, you know, unless we turn to Jesus, we die. We face punishment because we have not believed in Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you have every advantage in this life, every material or spiritual advantage, or whether you have none of them. If you're a sinner, that's, that's the only thing. If you haven't turned to Christ, that is, that's the problem. And, you know, I think sometimes the church gets this wrong and it can get it wrong in, in a couple of different ways, really. The first way is, I think Justin Welby said some years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury said that the church should have a bias towards the poor. And in some ways I can understand what he meant by that. But on the other, other, other hand, I think, you know, I, I you know, know some of what you might call the poor, uh, having worked, you know, um, over the last few years and met lots of different people. And I, I don't think the poor are any more virtuous than anyone else. You know, the, the poor, yes, we have to stand up against oppression and it's usually the rich oppressing the poor. That's how it usually works. But the poor are just as sinful as anybody else. You know, they need the gospel message just as much as anybody else. And so do the rich. You know, the, the rich and the poor alike are, are sinners. They need the gospel message. Um, but I think it's also possible for the church to be, you know, strategic. And this was something that used to drive me mad in uh, when I was at Bible college again. People talk about being strategic, which uh, as far as I could understand it meant going to, you know, big cities and places where you'd find lots of future leaders or, or leaders, you know, like politicians and people who lead institutions and so on. And you try and preach the gospel in that place because then you might get people who would influence the rest of society. And again, in some ways I can understand that. But I think, but surely, if, you know, people in inner cities and, and, you know, in those places need the gospel. So do people in the towns and villages of the rest of the country. And if you think about Jesus, you know, he wasn't strategic like that. You know, he didn't go and preach to the leaders. He, he preached to the, the people, the common people. So I think, you know, we must remember that everyone needs the gospel equally. And God might call some of us to preach to, to leaders and to, you know, the, the rich and powerful perhaps. But by and large, I think, you know, wherever we are, we should just preach the gospel and remember that everybody needs to hear this message about Jesus. And wonderfully, this message about Jesus is uniting, you know, because we do live in a very, uh, a world which is very fractured and fragmented around identity groups. Paul says uh, elsewhere in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying, that we're all equal. Now, not that the gospel sort of obliterates our distinctions, you know, they're still male and female, for example, but that actually we, we are one in Christ, that Christ is the one who brings us together. Not, you know, we don't cluster in our identity groups. We don't say, well, I'm this ethnicity or that, or, you know, I'm a, I, I do this job or you know, whatever, whatever, you know, we find groups in society, don't we? We're encouraged to find groups. But actually, as Christians, we find our unity in Christ and only in Christ, 
not in which tribe we belong to or anything like that. If we're in Christ, then we are one. That's, that's the thing. Uh, and, and in a fragmented world, that's a really important message, isn't it? You know, when we are encouraged to find unity in our, you know, sometimes perhaps in our skin colour or in our ethnicity or, you know, along uh, various different different things that we're encouraged to find in our particular tribes, which political beliefs that we hold, you know, those things, you know, at the end of the day for Christians, the only thing that matters is whether we're in Christ. He is the one who unites us who really unites us. And we're also, as, as it was, you know, the second thing is it's important to understand not everyone will respond with belief. And this is just what Jesus warned about in the parable of the sower. And you can read about that, read the parable in Matthew chapter 13. But, you know, that different people will respond differently. You know, that sometimes they'll respond with faith and with belief. Sometimes they'll believe for a little while and then fall away and sometimes they won't believe at all and this is what Jesus why Jesus told the parable that people will respond differently to the message but the important thing for us to remember is that we need to to spread the message anyway now the parable of the sower uh, the sower sowed even though some um, of the seed fell on rocky ground or on the path and didn't um, bear fruit we need to sow anyway. Now, it's not our place to decide. We need to sow anyway. And this is something which you know, sometimes people accuse. Last week I was thinking about you know, God choosing. And sometimes people take that doctrine, the idea that God might choose people, and then say, oh, well, therefore we don't need to preach the gospel. But actually, you know, that's not the case, that the apostles and others, you know, they preach the gospel and they, you know, that the, they, they were happy to share the gospel and, and accept that some people would not believe. And know that actually those who God has appointed for eternal life uh, will, will believe. So we need to, to not prejudge who God is going to, to bring. You know, God might put certain people on our hearts to pray for to, uh, and so on and so forth. And I hope that there are people who you are praying for. But we need to remember that at the end of the day, people, some people will respond to the gospel by rejecting it. And that that's just what God, God says. That doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. Uh, the final thing I wanted to mention, and I didn't really mention this as we were going through, but I think that this is a, a lovely place to finish. In the middle of this passage, in verse 12, uh, Paul says, The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There are abundant blessings in Christ. And again, you know, we live in a world where we try to find blessings in, in human things, you know, in, in the tribe that we're in, in the political grouping that we're in, or whatever it might be. But when we're in Christ, we find those blessings in him. And there is a rich and abundant, abounding blessing in Christ. And that's really good news for you and for me. You know, that we don't have to be envious of one another. We don't have to look at one another and, and look, you know, count our privileges. But actually we can say we are equally blessed and privileged in Christ. We have that unique blessing and we can, you know, find rich blessings in him. And that's, that's wonderful. 
So I know that there's been uh, lots to, to take in in, this, um, in these chapters of Romans. Romans is such a rich book, but I hope that this has been a, a blessing to you. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for God to help us as we uh, take these things to heart, ask him to write these things on our hearts. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that we have in Christ. We thank you for the unity that we have in Christ. And we pray that in our churches, in our communities, you would help us to display and live out that unity in the gospel, knowing that we are one in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to be able to um, preach the gospel to others, knowing that everyone needs Christ equally. And uh, we pray that you would help us to have humility and courage and um, uh, just be able to uh, understand and accept what it means, Lord, that not everyone will believe the message, but to, to share it anyway. So we pray that you would help us today and uh, be with us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.